Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. Romans chapter number three and verse number one, the Bible says this, what advantage then? path of the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? We remember last week, Paul basically told them that, hey, you like the heathen Gentiles are guilty of the judgment of God. And so they have these questions. What, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Paul says much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who, shall, uh, sh- who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just, or whose... uh, uh, whose um, condemnation is just. And this morning, I want to preach on the subject, God's judgment defended. And truly, these eight verses here, as we read that, read those verses, it's kind of hard to understand, right? Kind of hard to put put that all together. Um, But Paul here, um, in a diatribe form, in a way that he would uh, act as if there was uh, an invisible objector, ask a question, and then answers those questions here in these first eight verses. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon the message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can come to your house and worship you. We're thankful that one day because of Jesus and his completed work for us, if we put our faith and our trust in him, that we will have a home in heaven for all of eternity. As we sang about this morning, what a wonderful thing it will be when we can fix our eyes on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I ask that you would be with me and fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say. Father, I ask that your people that have come to church this morning would be attentive to your word and that they'd be able to glean from what Paul uh, has for us here in these first eight verses. We'll give you all the praise and glory for what you'll do. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at how the judgment of God is being revealed and will be revealed. Um, And in that, the world stands in need of the salvation provided only by Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Charlie. And in chapter number one, In verses number 18 through 32, Paul showed how the pagan world in particular is guilty and condemned before God. In chapter number two, Paul shows us that the Jews are included in this universal uh, condemnation. 
And so we found that the principles, we see the principles of God's impartial judgment in chapter two, verses one through 16. And then in in verses 17 through 29, we see the actual condition of the Jews. And both of those things prove that the Jews are no exception to the judgment of God. They're no exception. Paul was well aware, however, that the Jewish readers would not take this truth without a fight. They'd be upset. They would be angered with Paul stating that they were as guilty of sin as the heathen were. This would have made them very angry. And they would be quick to offer arguments against his position. Paul had heard these arguments before. Paul might have even had these arguments when he was a religious Pharisee. Um, and, And so he knows these arguments. And so Paul devotes one more passage to the need of the Jews here. Um, and you'll see that Paul's approach in this passage is to raise questions and then he provides answers to those questions that he raises. And the questions that he raises are those which he anticipates would be raised by Jews objecting to his position in chapter number two, okay? That the Jews are guilty um, as, as the heathen are, that they are going to be judged. And so we see those questions this morning. The first one that we see, number one, is that God's favor is questioned. God's favor to, toward the Jews is questioned here. Uh, now, these verses are, are simply a continuation of the previous verses of, of chapter number two, the end of chapter number two. And we see where salvation is not in religious tradition. Amen? Salvation is not in works. And so we understand that it is in Christ alone. And he continues to address the Jews and the arguments raised concerning them. So look at verse number one again. He says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Paul, having already established the fact that works cannot save, addresses the argument of the value of being a Jew. They say, what, what, do we, what advantage do we have over others? What benefit is there in being circumcised physically? Certainly the Jews felt that they were superior to others, right? They, they thought they were superior to others based on their heritage, right? They depended on their association with Abraham, their adherence to the law to get them into heaven, for them to be accepted by God. That's what they depended on, but Paul has already destroyed that thinking. He's already destroyed it. And simply being a Jew would not save them. Apart from Christ, they too remain lost in sin. But what we, the same argument could be raised in our day, right? What advantage is there in being a Baptist, right? What, what, why is it necessary to come to church? Why should one be baptized and join the church? These things can't save us, right? Church membership doesn't save us. Baptism doesn't save us. Church attendance doesn't save us. So what advantage do they have? Paul anticipates this question from the Jews. They're thinking, so, so why did God give us the command to be circumcised? Why, why do we, what, what, what advantage do we have of being God's jo- chosen people? They have this question. But Paul answers this question in verse number two. He says, 
much every way. There's a huge advantage in, in being a Jew. He says, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. He says, there's, there's much advantage. Paul speaks more about the advantages of the Jews and in, in starting in chapter number nine, we're not gonna get into all of those, but mainly he says here, you have one of the advantages that you have is that God has given you his word. God has given you the law. The, the Gentiles did not have it, right? The Jews did. There was a huge advantage. He dealt with them through the guidance of the word. He dealt with them through the prophets. He dealt with them through temple worship and the ministering of, of the priest. God manifested his presence among them. Their works and their religious activities could not save, but they were advantaged to have been exposed to the truth of God. That was their advantage that Paul speaks of. The, thing, the truth about God's word, the things that would point them to Christ as the Messiah, as the savior of the world, the Jews had been exposed to truth, although most of them rejected it. But Paul says, this is your advantage. The same principle remains true today. Listen, being a Baptist in name is of little value. But faithfully attending a church that preaches the truth is much value. Attending a church that preaches the truth. Listen, church attendance does not save, but it is here that the word of God is taught, where the gospel is shared, where the presence of God is among us. Do you believe that? Listen, I can't think of any other place to raise a family, to raise young parents, to raise your children than in the church. That's an advantage that you have. Listen, we also are priv privileged to have the truth as believers. And with that truth comes great responsibility. The Jews, their advantage was is they had the truth. They had the word of God. But yet many of them objected it. Many of them rejected it. And understand today that you, as a believer, praise God, he has revealed his truth to you, amen? You have the word of God. You have that possession. You have the truth. And with that privilege comes a great responsibility for you to share it. And so Paul answers these questions uh, of, of God's favor. He says, no, you have been favored. God has chosen you to give you the law for, so that you might point others to the Messiah. But also, number two, we see the second question. God's faithfulness is questioned. God's faithfulness is now questioned in verse number three. The Bible says this, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? That word faith there is, really means faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Does it make the faithfulness of God without effect? They were, they were questioning God's faithfulness toward the Jews, toward his, his promises. And the question raised here is one which really logically follows the previous one. 
The first question that they ask looks at Paul's position from the standpoint of Jewish advantage. But this question is from the standpoint of God's faithfulness to his promises. The point of this question is that God made in his dealings with Israel many wonderful promises, didn't he? To the Jews. He made many promises to the Jews. But Paul has taught in chapter number two that the Jews stand guilty and condemned just like the heathen. Not for promised blessings. And Paul states that Israel's unbelief is the reason for their lost condition. Their unbelief, he states there. Well, then the the Jewish objectors can ask questions like this. Does Israel's unbelief void God's promises to Israel? Can God justly go back on his promises just because Israel has not had faith? That's their question. Has God not been faithful to his promises because of the unbelief of Israel? And Paul answers that question in verse number four. He says, God forbid. That means absolutely not, right? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. And so Paul answers this question with really a threefold answer. First of all, he says, no, God is faithful. God is faithful. You see, regardless of the belief or the unbelief of men, the exclamation, God forbid, means that the answer to the question in verse number three is an emphatic no. The faithfulness of God will never be nullified by anything that man can do. The faithfulness of God. Listen, God is immutable. It means that he does not change. The Bible says that he changes not. And understand today that he was and is and always will be faithful to his promises. That's what Paul's saying here. God forbid. But then also we see that he says God is truthful. Regardless of how much men lie, and we do, don't we? Let God be true. Amen? As much as men may lie, let God be true. Even if that means that everyone will be found a liar, God always speaks the truth. And that includes his promises. That includes his promises of old to Israel. That includes his promises that he has given to us as believers. But also, number three, God's judgments are right and just. He says, God will always be justified in his sayings. That means that he will always be proved right. He will always be proved right. God is found innocent of wrong, justified in everything that he has ever said. What Paul does here is he quotes Psalm 51 and verse number four. Now we have to understand that Psalm 51 is the Psalm of David and his confession after his adultery with Bathsheba. And here's what David says in the context of this psalm. He says this in in Psalm 51.4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. 
And so in other words, David says that the reason that God would be just to judge him is that his sin was against God and against him alone. And David's sin makes God's judgment of David righteous. You see, it is true to God's nature. It is true to his glory. And so this righteousness in judgment is really faithfulness to his covenant. You get that? His, his, his righteous judgment is actually faithfulness to his covenant, to his people. And so Paul says, absolutely not. He's always faithful. He's always faithful to his promise. Can't you say amen to that this morning? He is always faithful. Don't ever think that he is not because of your unbelief. Don't ever think that he's not faithful because of your unbelief. And so Paul shuts that question down. And then the third question we see is that God's fairness is then questioned. God's fairness. Verse number five, he says this, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Paul had confirmed that God was faithful in providing forgiveness of sin and reconciliation. Amen? He confirmed that. And through this, through that, he is glorified. He is glorified when he forgives us of sin. But some argued that if God was glorified through forgiveness, then much forgiveness would result in much glory. In essence, they argued the more that they sinned and received forgiveness, the greater God's glory would be. Pretty absurd, right? This argument, this question that these Jews have, these actually viewed their sin as a good thing. Since when forgiven of God, it resulted in God's glory. So it was a good thing, they thought. That's their question. Let me say this today. We may not be consciously aware of it, but many believers are living according to this philosophy. They're confident of God's willingness to forgive and choose to live as they please. Always planning at some point in their life to come back to God and seek forgiveness. That's a dangerous way to live. And I'm absolutely confident today that God is able and willing to forgive, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But we are walking a dangerous path when we willfully sin with the ex expectation of running to God after our indulgence to receive forgiveness. Listen, repentance at that point isn't sincere and it's not genuine. It is empty confession that only seeks to justify indulging the flesh. Be careful. Because eventually sin will catch up to you and there will always be a consequence. There will always be a price to play. Listen, I praise God. Forgiveness is available, amen? But consequences remain. And that's what he's saying here. Look at verse number six. God, he says, to answer this question, this absurd question, God forbid, once again, for then how shall God judge the world? Again, we see Paul uses this same rebuke. Absolutely not, right? God 
forbid. God is holy and righteous and he will never condone sin. Even in the life of a believer. You see, if God were to overlook the sin of any individual, he would be unjust in judging the sin of others. All sin, Paul's saying here, all sin will be judged of God, excluding none. All sin. Praise Jesus as a believer. My sin, past, present, and future has been atoned by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. However, our salvation is no license to sin. We cannot expect to live as we please and indulge in a lifestyle of sin and never face the chastening hand of God because he will deal with sin in our lives as well. And if we refuse to repent and we refuse to turn from our sin, God will deal with us according to his will. And Paul says here, absolutely not. Do we sin more so God is glorified more? God forbid. God forbid. Then he closes this with verses seven and eight. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Again, Paul addresses the argument that if God is glorified in forgiveness, then much sin resulting in great forgiveness would bring greater glory. Paul again refutes that argument and he hopes to put it to rest. He adamantly states that there is no glory in sin. And he also reveals again that God will judge all sin. Paul concludes this section stating that his righteous nature requires judgment. God's righteous nature requires judgment. He cannot and he will not condone sin. I'll tell you this this morning. I'm settled and I'm on the security of the believer. Amen? The security of the believer. But it does not allow me to live as I please. Many assume that their salvation offers freedom to live as they please and never face the consequences. God is willing to forgive those who seek him. He is always willing to restore a wayward child. And I'm thankful that he does, but our sin never brings glory to God. Our sin never brings glory to God. Listen, while forgiveness and restoration are available, a life lived in light of his righteousness glorifies God. I'd much rather live above reproach than to continually have to seek restoration because of sin. It's deeply concerning today with those who feel as if they can live as they please and still be right with God. Listen, if you can sin at will with no conviction, you might want to have a heart check. If you can sin at will with no conviction, you might want to check your heart. You see, living in sin never glorifies God. And it often causes others to die in their sin because they never saw the value in the lives of those who claim to know Christ as their savior. I pray that we will consider our lives and seek to live as pure as we can before God and men. So what Paul tells us here in these, in these eight verses is that God will judge sin. 
all will be judged. And the last point that I want us to look at is that sin has to be judged. Sin has to be judged. In these first eight verses, Paul has defended the righteous judgment of God. His judgment on all sin and sinners is just. And towards the end of this chapter, and we'll look at it here in the next couple of weeks, he tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so if we have all sinned, then we will all be judged because he has to judge sin. But Paul continues in verse number 24. He says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Listen, the basic meaning of propitiation is appease or satisfy. What did the death of Christ appease? What did it satisfy? Well, in God's very nature, God is holy and God is righteous. And he can have no fellowship with anything that is sinful. That includes sinful men. And because of this, God's wrath is on sin and sinners because he must judge sin. Because if he does not judge sin, he's not acting according to his perfect character. But in love, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. No human being could ever have atoned for the sin of men. Why? Because all have sinned. But Christ, who was a perfect human, as well as truly divine, became the perfect sacrifice for your sin. God poured out his wrath against sin on the person of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ appeased God's wrath and it satisfied his holy and righteous demands against sin. And here's the wonderful truth. God took out his wrath on Christ instead of on sinners. And now anyone who will place his faith and trust in Jesus as personal savior from sin will receive the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And the wrath of God will never again come down upon that one because Christ bore God's wrath on that believer's behalf. Now through the death of Christ, a holy God who must judge sin can now meet with sinful man and have fellowship because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Yes, God's judgment against sin is just. Yes, all have sinned and will be judged of God. But yes, Jesus took upon himself the judgment for our sin if we believe. And the question is this morning is, have you believed? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.